Would you pray with me? Father, our desire this morning is that we would know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And we know that the only way to know him that way is also to taste his sufferings. And I pray that you would make us willing for that, that you would give us wide open hands, that Christ and him crucified and him raised would not just be an idea or a date on a calendar, but a very present reality for each one of us. So Holy Spirit, we know that this is your job, is to, is to bring Christ to us. And so we ask you to do your work here in each and every heart. Bring glory, O Father, to your Son by the Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. I really want to get into the message right away this morning, but I wanted to say a couple of words first. This is my last Sunday before I go on a what's called a sabbatical, and you may never have heard of one of those before, and I don't blame you, um, but sabbaticals are, are uh, often... Um, are, are periods of time that are taken by uh, people in my line of work, also often taken by people who are in teaching type jobs, uh, working in colleges and, and universities and that kind of thing. And uh, so for the next 11 weeks, I'm going to be taking a step back from, from the front lines of, of my responsibilities and uh, am going to be focusing on uh, taking care of my own soul, working on some projects, some study, some writing projects, uh, getting caught up on some things and really just making sure that I'm healthy for the next few years of, of ministry. This is just a part of our natural rhythm here. We have a, we, we put a policy in place. So, uh, so full-time pastoral staff, we accrue two weeks of, a, of, of sabbatical time every year that we can save up and, and use up. And, um, and so that's just a part of that. Sabbatical is not vacation. I still get my vacation in addition to that. Uh, sabbatical is kind of a focused, um, a focused time to, uh, to just grow develop, learn, get healthy, uh, or, or, or help stay healthy for, for the next leg of ministry. So I'm really grateful for this, um, and I'm, I'm really looking forward, uh, obviously, for, for, for a number of reasons to, to this season. I also uh, have uh, a fair bit of emotion at just knowing I'm not going to get to be here with you in this way for, 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 for uh, the next number of weeks here. It's about three and a half months, all told, with, together with my vacation time. Um, and and and, uh, and yet what I do want to say is that I'm not hiding out from people. People have asked me that. It's like, are we allowed to talk to you when you're on sabbatical? It's like, well, I'm not, you know, going to Mars. Like, of, of course. And, and I'm looking forward to, to uh, just getting to be Chris for, for a few months and getting to spend time with you in that kind of capacity. So uh, if you think, man, we should, like, maybe have the Hutchison's over, but I don't know. Chris is on sabbatical. Are we allowed to talk to him? The answer is yes, and we would love to come over. So, so there you go. And... Um, and and uh, actually, really looking forward to getting to do some some things like that with with people. And uh, I also just have so much confidence. I just I know that uh, that the elders are you know we work together as a team all the time. And so now it's it's just seventy five percent of the team. But but th that seventy five percent is going to do is great leading things over the next few months. 
Uh, Jordan Dudgeon in the office uh, is going to be holding the fort down, and uh, and so we hired him just in time, and uh, that's going to work just great. And and uh, as as you've heard me say all all the time. Um, uh, the job of a pastor is not to do ministry, but to help equip the, the people for the work of ministry. So uh, this church should not really miss me for the next three and a half months. You shouldn't really notice I'm gone. Um, and because it's up to you guys to, to take care of each other. And that's true all the time. And we just get to taste that in a little bit more uh of a, of a real way in the next, in the next few months. And so, um, of course, if there's emergencies or things, I, I may need to, to step in, but largely I'm looking forward to you as a body caring for itself, uh, which is, is what healthy bodies do. And, uh, so that's it. Um, and yeah, great crew of preachers, uh, mostly, well, pretty, yeah, mostly familiar faces should be to most of, most of you. Uh, Wes Dobson's coming back, um, one Sunday. Uh, we have a kind of our only real guest speaker is on is on uh, camp Sunday uh, which you'll hear more about a friend of mine named Jason Goulet and and uh, some other people here know him he's going to be preaching to us on June I think that's June 11th on road at church camp out at Torch Trail other than that familiar faces from around here that are going to be bringing the word to you finishing up the series in Genesis picking up in the Psalms again and preaching through the Psalms and uh, you guys are going to be well fed from the word in these months and uh, I'm looking forward to coming back uh, towards the end of July a better rested and uh, ready to just join in the work of God around here again. So that is that. And now let's get to, let's get to second Corinthians four. What I really wanted to talk about. Uh, this is a good morning, isn't it? Uh, choir, you, you did amazing. And not just did, you didn't just sound good, but you, you led us to, to taste the, the, the good news of, of the empty tomb. Uh, this is a day that Christians all over the world remember the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. This is a day that we remember that Jesus, who was really dead, really came back from the dead. That morning in the tomb, a still heart started beating, lifeless lungs started breathing, and a man who was a minute ago a corpse stood up and walked out of his own grave and everything sad started to come untrue and this is the truth that we get to celebrate and remember in a, in a specific special way this morning the resurrection of Jesus did so much it was God's way of overturning the guilty verdict that had been heaped on Jesus you know in his trial and in his crucifixion the 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 the, the leaders the people the government they saw Jesus as guilty and even cursed by God as he hung on a tree. But in raising him from the dead, God overturned that guilty verdict, declared that Jesus was righteous, was innocent, was indeed the Son of God. And in rising Jesus from the dead, God started something so important and so uh, so epic because he brought forward into history the great end times resurrection. See, ever since the time of Daniel, the people of God have been looking forward to a great resurrection at the end of time at the end of of all days and and they expected that to happen and Jesus rising from the dead means that the end times are upon us they've started already that's the resurrection has started already that's the meaning of 1 Corinthians 15:20 but in fact Christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep you farmers here know what it's like to get that first bit of fruit off of a field the first bunch of grain or or whatever it is that you're growing and and like that 
first ripe stalk of grain before a great harvest. Jesus is the first fruits of that great resurrection that is to come. The end times are upon us. The new creation has begun. And this is why if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Because Jesus in his resurrection has begun to bring forward into our time the the great things that God has promised for the future. This is why whoever believes in him has eternal life. Eternity begins now. And it began with those first breaths, those first heartbeats, those first steps of the risen Lord Jesus when he came out of his grave. And so we remember these things. We remember the truth that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, that whoever believes in him, though they die, yet shall they live, and everyone who believes in him shall never die. That's uh, just rewording what Jesus said in John eleven twenty five to 26 before he raised Lazarus from the dead. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ rewrites the script for everyone who believes in him. He died so that we don't have to so that we don't have to fear death. That is not, however, the full picture, is it? Is it just that Jesus died so that we don't have to and rose again so that life would be the only thing that we would ever experience? Is that the full truth, the only truth? Is it not also true that Jesus died and rose again so that his followers could also die and rise again as they follow him? Isn't that what Jesus said in Matthew 16? Right after telling his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Okay, so that's Good Friday. He's told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. In other words, Jesus did not just die instead of us. From another angle, from another perspective, he died and rose again so that we could die and rise again with him as we follow him. First Peter. I'm really looking forward. We're hoping in the fall to preach through First Peter. First Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Okay, That's Jesus dying as our substitute, taking our place, dying so we don't have to. Taking God's judgment so we don't have to. Amen. But a whole chapter earlier, Peter also wrote this. Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. See, there's the other side of the truth. There's Jesus dying as our example, calling us to follow as we suffer and endure with him in this life. And the promise is that as we die with Christ in this life, as we take up our crosses and follow in this life, we also get to taste the power of the resurrection in this life. And that's the truth that we're going to unpack and celebrate together from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Now, right before we get there, though, I just want to answer the question that I asked myself a few times this week and asked my wife a couple of days ago, is this really a good theme for an Easter sermon? 
Shouldn't we just be focusing on that one half of the truth this morning, that Jesus' resurrection is for us, Jesus rose from the dead, so we don't have to fear death, his death for us. Shouldn't we just focus on that and, and just that this morning? And as I've thought about this, my response to that question is is that one of the most important ways that we get to experience that resurrection this morning is what we're going to be talking about. How we enter into the death of Christ that we might also enter into his resurrection. This is a truth that some of the great resurrection songs have celebrated. Think about, you see behind me here, the title for this message comes from that fourth verse of Charles Wesley's great resurrection hymn, which says, Soar we now where Christ has read, led, sorry, following our exalted head. Made like him, okay? That's, that's, a, that's an echo of Paul's talking about being made like him in his death. Made like him in his death. Like him we rise. Ours, the cross, the grave, the skies. You see that? It's right there in that, in that hymn that celebrates Jesus' resurrection for us. It says, now we get to experience this with him. Or think of that song we sang earlier this morning that said, Once bound by fear, now bold in faith, they preached the truth and power of grace. And pouring out their lives, just like Jesus did, they gained life, life everlasting. I would say it's even there in the chorus of Christ Arose, which the, 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 the choir did parts of for us this morning, which says, In the chorus of Christ Rose, it says, He lives forever with his saints to reign. Who are the saints who will reign with Jesus? 2 Timothy 2, 11 to 12. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. So do you see this truth that Jesus didn't just die for us, I'm you know, because we talk about this all the time here. I'm not saying he didn't. Like, by now you should know that. We, of course he died for us. But we're saying that also he died so that we could die with him. So that we could rise with him. And what I'm saying here is that this truth is embedded in these great resurrection songs. And the church's celebration of the resurrection. It's just, it's there. And we're just going to really notice it and lean into it this morning. And this truth of us dying and rising with Jesus is unpacked in just a wonderful way by that scripture we just read together, 2 Corinthians 4. 2 Corinthians 4 comes in the context of the Apostle Paul explaining and defending his ministry to the church in Corinth. Paul was under attack from a group, group of false apostles fake apostles who were attacking him, attacking his ministry, attacking his message. And so the Corinthians, I mean, they, they liked Paul. Paul had brought the gospel to them and, and they, they had this relationship with him. But, but these, these fake apostles, through their slander, were, <clears throat> were making the Corinthians ask questions like, if Paul's gospel is so great, why do so many people not seem interested in it? If Paul's gospel is so great, then why is Paul so weak? If Paul's gospel is so great, why is Paul's life so hard? And in the first part of chapter 4, Paul's been answering that first question. If the gospel is so great, why do so many people reject it? 
Why do so many people reject it if it's really true? And in verse 4, if you've got your Bible, you can look in 2 Corinthians 4. Verse 4, he's, he's, he's answering this question like, is there something wrong with his gospel? Or is there something wrong with him that people don't want to believe what he says? And he's talking about unbelievers in verse 4. He says, in their case, the God of this world, small g God, that's, that's a t- title for the devil, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Hang on to that verse. We're going to come back to it. You see what he's saying? There's nothing wrong with him or the message he preaches. It's that Satan is getting in the way and blinding people's minds to the truth. But even then, we know that Satan's power is not ultimate. God can overpower that spiritual darkness just like he overpowered darkness at the time of creation. Verse 6, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, you know, it's creation, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God is doing miracles through Paul's ministry, shining the light of the gospel into hard and dark hearts, and he does it whenever he wants to, and no one can stop him. So that's the first question. Is there something wrong with Paul and his ministry and his message? No. But then there's still that second and kind of second and third questions together, like, If this is true, if Paul's gospel is so glorious, why is his life so hard? Why is Paul so weak? And those questions start getting answered beginning in verse 7. He says in verse 7, But we have this treasure, this amazing gospel, in jars of clay. Which was like, when you hear jars of clay here, this is like the, the disposable plates of the ancient world. Cheap Dishware. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. God, he's saying, deliberately causes his glorious gospel to be carried by weak and suffering messengers so that everybody will know that the power belongs to God and not to those messengers. What does it look like to be a jar of clay? What does it look like to be weak? What does it look like to be a weak messenger for a powerful gospel? Verse 8, here's what it sounds like. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. This is just an amazing lineup of phrases. If you think about the first half, if you take all those phrases and you pile up the first half together, think, think of what you get. Afflicted in every way, perplexed, persecuted, struck down. What does that sound like to you? It sounds like death, doesn't it? That sounds like some kind of death. What happens if you take the second half of all the statements and you pile them up? Not crushed, not driven to despair, not forsaken, not destroyed. What does that sound like? That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Like that, that, sounds, that sounds like life. It sounds like Paul's experience 
is this mixture of death and life. That's what it sounds like, doesn't it? Dying and yet living. Death and life walking hand in hand together. And that's not a coincidence because it's exactly what he explains in these next verses. Death and life are both at work in him. Why? Because he preaches a gospel about a dying and rising Savior. And as he preaches about a dying and rising Savior, he experiences the death and the resurrection of Jesus. God has so set it up that his messengers don't just talk about Jesus, but they look like Jesus. They experience what Jesus experienced, both in death and in life. Paul gets to reenact the very things that he proclaims. And he makes this point three times over in three different ways in verses 10, 11, and 12. And in these three verses, verses 10, 11, and 12, he basically says the same thing three times over with slight variation to help us understand how it is that both death and life are at work in him. So we're going to start, if you're following along in your outline, we're, we're at death at work. And we're going to look at the first half of each of these verses. Verse 10 says that he was always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. See, the death of Jesus wasn't just a message on his mouth. It's an experience that he embodies. You might wonder, again, what did that look like? Well, we've already seen. For him to carry in his body the death of Jesus meant he was afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, struck down. But in other places in 2 Corinthians, he gets even more specific of what it looked like for him to carry the death of Jesus in his body. In chapter 11 of this book, he lists in detail what this included. Chapter 11, starting in verse 23, he describes a life of, quote, imprisonments with countless beatings. He lost track of how many times he'd been beaten. And often near death. People these days have one near-death experience and they write a book about it. Paul, often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. And the reason they did 40 lashes less one is because they thought if they did 41 by accident, they might die. So they did 41 just in case they lost count. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. An attempt at killing him where they actually thought he was dead. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Some of you have seen the movie uh, Unbroken about Louis Zamperini, who was a, an Olympic runner in World War II, was in a bomber crew, crashed 45 days at sea, then was picked up by the Japanese and survived a Japanese detention camp. I mean, you, you watch the movie and you think, how can anyone survive that? And then you read Paul's list and you're like, it just, it's like everything Zamperini went through times three or four or five. 
That's what it looked like for Paul to carry in his body the death of Jesus. And we could take it even further than that. Like Jesus on Good Friday, Paul was abandoned by his closest friends. Like Jesus before the high priests, Paul was slandered and lied about, had people assume the worst about him. He describes some of this emotional pain in, and, and this uh, physical, sorry, this, this relational pain in chapter 6, verses 9 to 10. He describes his life, quote, through honor and dishonor. This is chapter 6, 9 to 10. Through slander and praise. We are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown yet well known, as dying and yet behold we live as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. Paul's whole ministry was one slow death. Every day a fresh taste of death. He says in 1 Corinthians 15, 31, I die every day. So let's ask, let's ask a question now. Paul has said that he tastes the death of Jesus. Now, we've just heard about all of this suffering in his life. What makes that count as the death of Jesus? Is, like, you hear what I'm saying here? Like, why isn't it just, oh, he had a hard life? How is it that he takes all of this hardship and says, well, this is actually the death of Jesus? That's what he says, verse 10, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. How come all of this is the death of Jesus as opposed to just his own hard life? And the reason is that all of this hardship and suffering that he experienced, he experienced for Jesus as he labored to serve others in Jesus' name. See, if Paul had just packed up shop and gone home and, you know, written books or something, he would have been fine. But all of this happened to him as he was going out, serving Jesus and trying to help more people know about him. So that's why he explains in verse 11. For we who live, that's talking about him there, are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. There it is. Just like Jesus was delivered over to be killed, Paul is given over to death. It's actually similar words here, right? We who live are always being given over. It's the same language that's used for Jesus being delivered over to death. And he's being delivered over for Jesus' sake because he's following Jesus, because he's obeying Jesus, because he's proclaiming Jesus. He was hated by people for Jesus' sake. He was near death for Jesus' sake. Isn't that what Jesus said would happen? Matthew 10, 22, you'll be hated by all for my name's sake. John 15, 20, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. As Paul stays faithful to Jesus, for the sake of Jesus, he suffers what Jesus suffered. And so back in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 12, it rounds out this picture. The beginning of verse 12, he says, so death is at work in us. You see those signs that say, you know, men at work or people at work? Over Paul's life hung up a sign that said death at work. Death was at work in him. Every day he felt death doing its work as as he labored on for the sake of the gospel. His outer man was wasting away, like he'll say in verse 16. Paul's life felt like a series of Good Fridays. Maybe like one big Good Friday. As he picked up his cross and followed Jesus. But that's not the whole picture, is it? 
We've only considered now the first half of verses 10, 11, and 12. What do we find in the second half of each of these verses? Well, what we find is life at work. Verse 10, look at the second half of verse 10. He starts saying, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. Second half, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Verse 11 ends with almost the exact same words. So that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Manifested, shows up, shines out. So death is only half the picture. As as Paul tastes Christ's death, he also gets to taste Christ's resurrection life. And see, this is why we're studying these verses this morning, because these verses are showing us that the resurrection was not just an event that happened in history and doesn't mean anything until you die someday, which for most of us feels like it's going to be forever, because surely whatever health problems we have, the doctors will be able to fix in a moment, right? And death will never come for us. That's how we tend to think in our culture today. So the death of, the resurrection of Jesus will be special to me someday. No, no, look for for Paul here. The resurrection was a here and now experience. He tasted the resurrection of Jesus in his body. Well, what what does he mean by that? Like, what what does that actually mean? What does it mean for for the life of Jesus to be at work? There's, There's several ways the New Testament talks about the resurrection life of Jesus at work. There's the way that the resurrection power of Jesus has caused us who, who believe to be born again and to walk in a new life in Christ. That's Ephesians 1 and 2. If you've been born again, that's because you've been connected to the risen Lord Jesus and you're alive with his life. That doesn't seem to be so much what Paul's talking about here, though. Is, is Paul talking about the way that the resurrected Jesus helps us who have been born again to walk a whole, in, a, in a holy and a righteous way, to live loving lives like Jesus. That's what he talks about in Romans 6 and 7, but that doesn't seem to be what he's talking about here. I think there's two main ways that he's, what he's talking about here, about the resurrection life of Jesus. That was a messed up sentence. I think he's, he's talking about two ways that the resurrection life of Jesus impacts and empowers him. And and first, it has to do with the way that Jesus actually strengthened him to keep going. I mean, don't you just listen, read that list that we just read in chapter 11, and you think, how does any human being survive that and keep going? How is that possible? And the answer is found in 1 Timothy 1.12. He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord. The risen Lord Jesus actually, supernaturally strengthened the Apostle Paul to keep going in spite of all of the death at work in him. Jesus strengthened him, physically empowered him. He says it in another place, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I but the grace of God that was with me. 
So, so the Apostle Paul, you say, how in the world does he keep going? And the answer is that Jesus Christ, the risen Lord Jesus Christ, with his resurrection power, gave Paul the strength to get up after he had been stoned and walk to the next town, to climb out of the sea after a shipwreck and keep preaching the gospel, to keep going. That's not just Paul being the energizer bunny. If, if it is, it's not just batteries. It's the resurrection power of Jesus sustaining him. And, and, and there's a second way that I believe that we see the power of Jesus at work in him, and that's the resurrected Jesus, the living Jesus who's really alive, rejuvenating him on the inside so that even when his body was crumbling, even as his body fell apart, he didn't lose heart. Isn't it true that for so many of us, long before our bodies fail, our hearts give way? We give up. We quit. We get, we, we, we get tired. We despair. We throw in the towel. That's more of a challenge, isn't it? Than our bodies falling apart to the point where we stop. But Jesus, the risen Lord Jesus, sustained Paul's inner self. And if you look down at verse 16, he says, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And you've met people like that, haven't you? People who are stuck in a chair or a hospital bed or people like Gracia Burnham who have lost everything and yet glow with the life of the resurrected Jesus. People like Johnny Erickson who've been stuck in a wheelchair for 50 years plus. And if, if, you haven't, if you don't believe Jesus is real, just listen and read some stuff from Johnny Erickson and try to explain that any other way other than Jesus is really alive. And that was Paul. Paul tasted the life of Jesus here and now, renewing his inner self, giving him joy, giving him love. And so that's, that's at least a part of what it means in verses 10 and 11 when he talks about the life of Jesus at work. Now there's one more way that life is at work in verse 12. He says in verse 12, so death is at work in us, but life in you. And we just want to really quickly ask the question, did he just change the subject? Okay, so we've seen verse 10, 11, 12, all talk about death at work, life at work. Death at work, life at work. Verse 10, he said, death is at work in me, but life is at work in me. Verse 11, death is at work in me, life is at work in me. Verse verse 12, death is at work in me, life is at work in who? What's he say? Life is at work in you. Did he just change the subject? I don't think he changed the subject at all. Because what did Paul do with the resurrection life that Jesus gave him? He invested it in other people to love them, to bring Jesus close to them. It was for them. Whatever Jesus gave him was for them. He didn't keep any of it to himself. He didn't think, oh, I feel so rejuvenated, so I'm going to go you know, build a monastery and float above the ground for a couple of months just feeling all high. No, like he, anything that Jesus gave him, he reinvested into Jesus, his mission, and his people. He says in verse 15, for it is all for your sake. The resurrection power kept him going so that he could help more people get in contact with Jesus. 
death and life. All for Christ, through Christ, and for Christ and his people. And that was the cycle of, of Paul's life. The cycle of Paul's life was death, life, death, life, death, life. You read through Acts, you read through the epistles, you see this pattern, death, resurrection, death, resurrection, right? He gets arrested and beaten in Philippi, there's death. But then the Philippian jailer comes to know Jesus, there's life. He uh, gets chained up in Rome, there's death at work. But all of the Roman guards hear about Jesus and people get more courage to preach the gospel, there's life. And you see that happen in Paul's life again and again. Death, life. Death, resurrection. Eventually, though, the cycle ended. Eventually, the cycle ended. Caesar had Paul put to death with the sword. And so Paul finally experienced real, absolute, final death for the sake of Jesus. So did death win? Of course not. Because for Paul, to live was Christ and to die was gain because it meant that he got to go be with Jesus. But even that's not the end of the cycle. Even now, Paul is still awaiting the final resurrection when he will be finally resurrected in a new body with Jesus on a new earth and life wins once and for all. I want you just to think about this for a moment. The Apostle Paul is a real person and he is with Jesus in heaven right now and he's still waiting to be resurrected. Just like Abraham is a real person with Jesus in heaven right now, still waiting for that new creation and that new body that he was looking forward to all the way back then. Same as Paul. Us and them all together waiting for the great resurrection, the great harvest. He's still waiting when life wins once and for all. And that was a hope that helped keep him going. This maybe was one more way that the life of Jesus was at work in him. Look down at verse 14. He says, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. See, that's his final hope. The little tastes of the resurrection in this life, like getting up after being stoned and walking to the next village, like those are just little tastes, little drops on the tongue. That's not the final picture. The final picture is to be actually raised from the dead at the last trumpet, actually given a new resurrected body, just like Jesus got on Easter Sunday, to actually be with Jesus. Jesus in a new body forever. That's the hope that kept Paul going. So do you think Paul was grateful for these little tastes of life? Of course. But we know that his hope was set on something so much greater. Jesus came out of his own grave, so would he. Life wins. Glory wins. And that kept him from losing heart as he got punched down again and again and again. Verse 16, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen like the chains and the dirty dungeon and the rats No, but to the things that are unseen. Jesus, glory, eternity. For the things that are seen are transient. They're going to be just done like this. But the things that are unseen are eternal. All the suffering, the shipwrecks, the stonings, the slanders, the sword that finally ended his life, 
just little blips that will soon be swallowed up into weighty glory. So let's, let's take a breath here and let's, let's sum this all up. Let's sum up what we've seen. Let's apply it to us. Jesus, right now, today, Jesus Christ is alive, reigning in glory. And if you are his, that's your destiny, is to be with him where he is. But just like it was for Jesus, that life lies on the other side of death. The empty grave is on the other side of a cross. One day, we'll experience that fully. We will truly die, and then we will truly live. And before then, before then, we get to live lives that in small or large ways act out this dying and this rising. As we lose our lives for Jesus to love him and his people, we, we reenact his death and we experience his life. In other words, the Christian life is a life that's lived with one foot always in Good Friday and another foot always in Easter Sunday. Death and life until life finally wins. Here's why I find this vision of the Christian life so helpful, so hopeful. First of all, this makes sense of just how hard it can be to serve the Lord and to love his people. Think of how tough it can be for us to surrender our rights, to accept God's will for our lives when that will isn't what we wanted, to say yes to Jesus when our friends and family are going the other way, to care for difficult people, to love people who don't show us any love in return, to try to share Jesus with people who not only don't care, but will try and punish us for inviting them to eternal life, to pour ourselves out for people who turn around and stab us in the back, to open up our lives and our homes and our hearts again and again and again when we're just so tired, to say yes to Jesus one more time when we want to give up, or just think of all of the many pains and inconveniences and, and surrenders as we have to lay down our schedules, our preferences, our desires for the sake of Christ and his body. It can feel like death. But in that death, we taste life. Not just as some idea floating out there 2,000 years ago. No, Jesus is alive. And that living Jesus empowers us for lives of love and service. He can sustain our bodies when our physical reserves just can't cut it. He can renew our inner selves with his presence so that we can press on with joy without losing heart as we love him and as we love his people, even if our bodies are falling apart. I love this vision and how it brings the resurrection of Jesus from back there somewhere to, to right here and now. Present tense resurrection. Every day gets to be resurrection day in your heart as the Holy Spirit brings you into contact with the risen Lord Jesus and his power. So one final question as we, as we think about sewing this all up this morning. How does this last thing we just talked about, how does that actually happen? How do we daily put ourselves in the path of Jesus and his resurrection power. 
And I, I think one very important answer back in chapter three of Second Corinthians, verse 18, we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory for another. The, the Lord is transforming us to be more like him as we look at his glory. And how do we do that? Where do we see his glory? And this is where we were ending right where we began. Remember I said to hang on to that verse? Chapter 4, verse 4, which speaks about the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The gospel. The gospel shows us the glory of God in Christ, the son of Abraham, son of David, crushed for our transgressions, buried, raised on the third day by the power of God, reigning over the universe as king, saving all who come to him by faith, returning soon to gather his people together and to reign forevermore. The gospel is where we see the glory of Christ. And as we gaze, as we fix our eyes on the gospel, we see glory and we are changed and renewed and made new and taste the resurrection power of Jesus that strengthens us for the next step. See, this is why we've been doing what we do this morning. This is why we do this every week, why we need this. This gathering is a supernatural event, people. I hope you know that, where our souls are feasting on the gospel of Jesus, crucified and risen, and we see his glory together. We experience him in his body, and we encounter his resurrection power, and we're strengthened by his spirit for another week of sacrificial love. I also hope this isn't the last time you encounter Jesus before next Sunday. I hope you're regularly seeking him in his word, encouraging one another in your small groups and other conversations, reminding each other about the gospel, helping each other encounter Christ. We need him together. We find him together. And it's here as we behold his glory in the gospel that we taste his power. So as we end now, we're going to pray for his strength to sustain us, to help us help each other for another week of life and death for Jesus' sake. Lord Jesus, we praise you that you're alive and we praise you that we can taste and experience your resurrection power right here and now in our lives today. As death is at work in us, so is your life. And so, Jesus, would you help us to stand in the paths where we're going to meet you and find that power? We see it here that we, we, we are transformed by your spirit as we look at your glory in the gospel. Thank you that we've gotten to do that this morning. Thank you that we're going to get to do that again and again and again together. Lord Jesus, as we open your word day by day, help us to see your glory there as we encourage each other, as we speak truth to each other, help us to point each other to you. God, make us a community that brings each other regularly to the foot of the cross and to the open tomb. Make us a community, Jesus, that's shaped by your death and your life. And I pray that this would be a week that we'd get to taste a little bit of both. 
And I pray that you'd come soon, Jesus, that life might finally have the final word. And I pray this all for your sake. Amen. Music team, come on up.